I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Acts chapters 4 through 6. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin. Verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone." Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge." For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now chapter 4 here continues with an incident that began back in Acts chapter 3. In that chapter, Peter and John were just minding their own business as they headed into the temple when they were stopped by a lame man there looking for a handout. And then Acts chapter 3, verse 6, that's where the fireworks begin. Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Afterward, the man gets up and goes into the temple with Peter and John. Now, the people had been seeing the lame man day in and day out for perhaps decades. They wanted an explanation, and bold old Peter, he feels inclined to preach to them Jesus. 
You can imagine the commotion this message caused, so much so that the Jewish leaders, well, they're upset again. That's where we pick up here in chapter 4 with verses 1 and 2, which says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. I mean, period. Verse 4 gives us the magnitude of how rapidly that early church grew. Luke specifically tells us that this number of 5,000 represents the total number of male-only believers at this point in time in early Jerusalem church history. Secular historical sources tell us that the Roman Empire sanctioned specific religious activity during this period. To the government officials all the way over in Rome, about 1,700 miles northwest, Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism, and it remained that way until 64 AD when Nero began specifically targeting Christians for persecution. Therefore, previous to 64 AD, the Jewish leaders seemed to feel a certain authority over those who preached Jesus. On this occasion, they take the liberty to lock up Peter and John until they can assemble the whole council of Jewish leaders together for a hearing. This Jewish council was known as the Sanhedrin, and it was these very Jewish leaders who had orchestrated the accusations against Jesus leading up to the crucifixion. The Roman government allowed the Sanhedrin to police their own people, including the disciplining of these renegade Jews that were known in those days as Christians. Now, just for some extra perspective here, it was the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. They controlled the priesthood during this period of time. These are the ones who had Peter and John arrested on this occasion. Not only had they caught Peter and John preaching the resurrection, they were preaching that the resurrection is facilitated by Jesus Christ himself. The Sanhedrin was comprised of both Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees had a running conflict with the Sadducees regarding the validity of the resurrection of the dead. However, both factions agreed that it was harmful to their cause for anyone to be preaching the resurrection with that Jesus component added. It's worth noting in this passage that even in the face of death, Peter is denying nothing here, nor is John. Even after a night in Jewish custody, the next day when Peter and John appear before the Sanhedrin, Peter turns loose on these men with an admirable boldness. Was he tactful? Nah, he wasn't tactful at all. He accuses them of crucifying Jesus in verse 10 and proclaims to them that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Then Peter goes messianic in verse 11 when he quotes David from Psalm 118.22 when he says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isaiah had made certain that all would understand this stone to be a reference to the Messiah when he wrote about it in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Here's what he says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. This verse is also used by Jesus himself in a parable to the Jewish leaders regarding his imminent crucifixion in Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke chapter 20. So when Peter ties the reference to the rejected stone of Psalm 118.22 and Isaiah 28.16 to Jesus, and then in no uncertain terms tells the Sanhedrin that they've crucified the prophesied Messiah, well, that's a powerful statement of indictment against the Sanhedrin. 
Just to make certain they don't miss the point, Peter adds in verse 12 when he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Incidentally, we also see a reference to the stone of stumbling prophecy in Romans chapter 9, verse 33, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. What to do, what to do. For fear of the vast multitude who had responded to the salvation message, the Sanhedrin confers, and then they decide to simply threaten Peter and John. However, right there in their faces, Peter proclaims in verses 19 and 20, here, here's what he says, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Because of the people, what else could the Sanhedrin do? They threatened them some more, and then they let them go. In verses 23 to 31 of chapter 4, Peter and John report back to the church. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Well, the confrontation and verbal victory over the Sanhedrin, that's big news back with the new believers of the church in Jerusalem. Now, understand the magnitude of what's just happened here. Peter boldly declared that salvation was only through Jesus to the very men who had orchestrated the illegal trials of Jesus that led up to the crucifixion. Yet, Peter and John walk away without a scratch. Notice in verses 25 and 26 the reference to Psalm 2. This messianic psalm of David gets considerable New Testament treatment. As recorded by all three synoptic gospels in Matthew 3, Mark 1, and Luke 3, Psalm 2-7 seems likely to be the purpose of God's voice from heaven at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. When we read recorded in the gospels, "'This is my beloved Son,' in whom I am well pleased, and, as I said, that was taken from Psalm 2-7. The capture and release of Peter and John precipitates a big prayer meeting that ends with verse 31 when it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We see in chapter 4, then, beginning with verse 32 down through verse 37, that the believers in the early church there shared everything. Verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. 
and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, here we see that these early Christians in Jerusalem were so bonded together through their faith in Jesus Christ that they shared everything as family, even to the point of selling possessions and sharing the proceeds with the body of believers as well. As a matter of fact, we see our first mention of Barnabas here in that context. He sells a piece of land and brings the proceeds to the apostles for distribution. Barnabas, who was a Levite believer, he subsequently becomes a notable influence in the early church movement. That brings us to one of the more fascinating stories of the New Testament, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5 with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Well, not everyone was sharing their possessions with the proper attitude. After a man named Joseph, who was Barnabas, sold his land and brought the entire proceeds of its sale to the apostles for distribution, another man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphire, they just loved the attention that he'd received after doing so. However, being a bit stingy, they sold a piece of property, brought some of the proceeds to the apostles, in front of a crowd, of course, and they represented that this was the entire amount received from the sale. That's an amusing story. They arrive individually before Peter to get their recognition for their generous contribution, only to find a bigger surprise than they had anticipated. The story is enhanced by the fact that they came in before the apostles and the crowd of admiring believers separately first Ananias, then three hours later, Sapphira. Both are struck dead as they perpetuate the lie. When I hear some Christians talk about being slain in the Spirit, I can't help but reflect on this passage and think, well, there's your biblical precedent for slain in the Spirit. Notice their sin was lying to the Holy Spirit. Only saved people can be held accountable before God like that. This was clearly chastisement of believers that resulted in death. Some might find these two immediate deaths troubling, and some preachers have abused this passage so as to strike fear into the hearts of their congregants. Ananias and Sapphira were not two sold-out Christians who simply, well, had a lapse of judgment and good character. Their intent from the beginning was wrong. 
amounting to conspiracy to deceive for the purpose of garnering praise from the apostles and the people. Their actions were not inadvertent. They were blatantly defiant against God. Thus, they become the examples of God's wrath on believers who exercise a cold rebellion against God. Now, if you'd like to know more about this concept of scriptural chastisement, then look at my notes on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. In chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, the apostles appear before the Sanhedrin, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Well, times are good here in Jerusalem among the believers. Lots happening to confirm their faith. Gathered there at the temple at Solomon's porch, people from out of town start coming to visit these new believers, and they're bringing people with them to get healed. New people continue to get saved. The apostles are winning the hearts of the multitude every day. Well, it's time for the Sanhedrin to get rolling again. They arrest the apostles and place them in common prison until they can convene a meeting for the next day. However, an angel delivers them out from prison. And the next morning, they're out preaching in the temple again. Now, that's bold. The guards are once again sent out to bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin. For fear of the people, they do so with as little fanfare as possible. Before the Sanhedrin, the high priest asked in verse 28, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? 
And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Now, that's quite an interesting statement coming from the high priest. In fact, they had been responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. But they'd made every effort to make the crucifixion look like a Roman plot from start to finish. And that, by the way, is why they had Jesus arrested at night and conducted six trials, illegal trials, while the people slept. The next morning, when the Jewish populace awoke, Jesus was hanging on a Roman cross. Yep, these Jewish leaders had gone to a lot of trouble to make it look like an all-Roman crucifixion. Now, here we have Peter telling the crowds of Jews the real truth. Well, naturally, the Sanhedrin, they don't like the real truth. Peter boldly lets loose on them again. Having heard Peter's reply, we read in verse 33, When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now we come to Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 34, where we see that the disciples, well, Peter and John, they rejoice over this beating they get. Verse 34, Then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So here's Gamaliel. He's a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin and well-respected among them. He reasons that they should release the apostles because if what they're preaching is not a god, it will self-destruct. Obviously, looking for a face-saving way out, the Sanhedrin adopts his solution. Now, Gamaliel's words are heeded, and the disciples are released with just a beating in verse 40. Verse 41 says they left their beating, and they were rejoicing when they left. Incidentally, sometimes false doctrine lasts for centuries. The words of Gamaliel here... An unregenerate but reasonable man cannot be adopted as a doctrine principle for Christians. As believers, we are well aware that the power of Satan will last in this world until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's really not true, as Gamaliel said in verse 38, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. In chapter 6, we have the introduction of what we know as deacons. Verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, while it doesn't specifically say so, we assume that these men are the first deacons of the early church. The elders were overcome with the responsibilities here, and they needed some assistance. It appears that the Greek-speaking Hebrew widows were not getting as much attention as the Aramaic-speaking Hebrew widows. Keep in mind that this church had grown well past 5,000 men, and that's not counting women and children. When the distribution of provisions became a daunting task for the apostles, they directed the people to recommend men to assist in this task. We see in verse 7 that they laid their hands on these seven men, thus ordaining them, presumably as deacons. All seven of these men had Greek names, but they were Jews either by birth or through proselytization. It appears that the goal was to give the Greek-speaking Hebrew widows representation in Jerusalem by appointing like-minded men to help in the service of the church. Paul later gives the criteria for evaluating prospective deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8-13. through Two of these men go on to accomplish greater tasks. Stephen's bold message in martyrdom in Acts chapter 7 is recorded there, and Philip's introduction of Christianity to the Samaritans is recorded in Acts chapter 8. In the remaining verses of chapter 6 here, Stephen, the, the deacon here, he, he gets the Sanhedrin quite upset, beginning in verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So here's Stephen, he's a new deacon, and he's preaching. However, he upset some people with his proclamation of Jesus, and he finds himself standing before that same Sanhedrin. They seem to hate this new Jesus movement. They brought him in with some trumped-up false accusations. I feel a bold message coming on. Let him have it, Stephen. Now, this message, by the way, is found in the entirety of Acts chapter 7. Incidentally, we don't have much to go on regarding the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians. There were multiple Jewish synagogues in Jerusalem attended by people of varying interests and backgrounds. The people indicated in verse 8 came from one of those synagogues. Probably Stephen had made a stop by their synagogue, and they obviously they didn't appreciate his teaching. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.